Welcome to season three of Motivate Me. We invite you to travel the 50 states in 90 days as we interview people about their passion. Why? In order to inspire you to live a life that's more exciting or more meaningful. This is Motivate Me, and I'm Lynette Renda. So ladies and gentlemen, today I am lucky enough to be sitting on a bench here in Idaho. Yes. So it's Joyzy meets Boise, right? I like it. Jersey girl mm-hmm. talking to an Idaho, Idaho mama. Yeah. So, and when we say mama, mm-hmm. <laughs> she is soon to be mother of four, Yep. Um, but she's also a powerhouse. She's a comedian. Mm-hmm. She's the creator of Laugh Fest here in Idaho. She's an author, which we'll be talking about. And um, she's a really well-rounded individual in general. So Meg, Meg and Bryant, thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here with you. I am curious. I know that you do the Laugh Fest and you are a mm-hmm. comedian and you also use improv and comedy in yep. your, as a facilitator in corporate settings, yeah. right? So you, you're everything comedy. Yeah. Everybody needs it everywhere. They don't always realize it, but it, absolutely having a little bit of humor and just the comfort that it gives people and the connection that it brings to people uh, really helps with a lot of any type of relationship, personal and professional. Where did your sense of humor and your passion for comedy originate? Like, I think I was born with it for the most part because right, <laughs> right. I was always the goofball. I'm the youngest of six kids. And uh, so I was always the one trying to get the attention and singing a lot, making sound effects as a kid. And well, I still do that. Um, but then uh, in my adult life, in my early 20s, my older brother introduced me to improv comedy as a performance style. And they were just looking for another player on their troupe. And I was like, oh my gosh, what is this? This is amazing. I need this in my life. Uh, just a bunch of different, a, a bunch of adults with different backgrounds and different familial status and all sorts of stuff going on in their lives. And we would just move couches out of the way in someone's living room and and play these activities that were about being off the cuff first thing that comes to mind very uplifting environment and can you give me an example sure yeah yeah so like uh, the basics of improv actually the the founding principle is yes and so for example when we do uh, we might do a warm-up where we're all in a circle and we do a story that's one sentence at a time and that's all that you can contribute when it gets to you Um, and so when someone starts a story they're like oh it was a beautiful sunny day in Boise Idaho and then the next person will say yes and adventure was right around the corner because there was going to be a fair at the local uh, park where there was going to be corn dogs and cotton candy then the next person is yes and there was going to be people on stilts and merriment was going to be had by all so one by one People will say yes, accepting whatever that information is that is provided to them and adding some of their own creativity or whatever the next thing that comes to mind. So listening to each other helps drive other people's minds forward. Um, and it, um, saying yes verbally prevents you from cutting someone off or negating their idea. And so a lot of times in improv, it's to be funny and silly. And obviously when we're performing, our goal is to make people laugh. But in the workplace, you use those same skills to get people creative, more creative or reaching into the parts of their brain that are sometimes stifled or 
create an environment where they're able to do things where the boss isn't looking over their shoulder being like, well, that's a dumb idea. Like creative, crazy ideas are encouraged and it gets people looser and, and just feeling more confident when they're getting validated by contributing. And team building is so important in yeah. that environment period. And I mean, for any group of people. For but, sure. So how did you transition into this? Like, where did that yeah. happen? Well, I just started to notice that as I was playing these improv games, my attentiveness and my presence was, I was more aware of it. So we're all improvising every day, everywhere we go. People just aren't cognitive of it. So I started to just notice that I was listening better to other people. I was ready to receive the information. And then I would think about how I could contribute to the situation instead of shutting people down. So I, at the time I worked in retail banking. I was a branch manager for a bank for many years. Um, and I started to just kind of subliminally put some of those practices into play with my own staff during staff meetings and things like that. And and just having a really an uplifting environment. So I started really easily seeing very quickly how it was changing the way that I was communicating with people. Because I was a better listener, I was more present in the moment. Um, so I could just tell right away that it would work anywhere else. And it, But it just took a few years because I was really busy with um, having a day job to punch into and, and the busyness of just other projects that I had. So it wasn't until just a few years ago that my brother and I actually created a curriculum that uses those skills but puts them into uh, different exercises where people aren't actually performing for their coworkers because that's no one, no one wants to do that unless they really are performers. So, so for my audience members, mm -hmm. what was it like when you got your first job? Like it was when, awesome. you said, when you said I'm doing this yeah. and reached out. It was cool. Well, the first time I realized that, that I thought for sure it could work, I did a couple of beta tests. So I did some workshops actually with couples because I wanted to do some of that on the personal level. And then we did a, a kind of a quasi performance situation that was more demonstrative, but we used audience participation um, with some engineers from the transportation department. And I'm like, if they like this, it'll work anywhere. <laughs> yeah, if you can get engineers to buy in, yes. you're good. And they did not want to be there. They were sweating. They were skeptical. Yeah, right. Um, but by the end of it, they were dissecting it and they were telling us, oh, yeah, when we did this and we were stepping you know, I call it expanding your comfort zone. Like everybody, once you learn a new skill, you become more comfortable with it. So you shouldn't feel totally out of your realm when you're kind of baby stepping. But yeah, when they started validating that they were having personal takeaways and it wasn't like, you can't tell someone you're going to learn A, B, and C today. They're, it's so experiential that they're each going to come away with their own, whoa, like aha moments of how they function. So once I did that little test run with people I'd performed for before, I was like, oh man, yeah, this will work anywhere. And it, it's still totally exhilarating when someone tries it for the first time and they're like, wow, our whole team needs this and any industry can benefit from it. And um, just their self-awareness too. Uh, often I hear that it helps them with their spousal communication or playing easy games with their kids to keep them their conversations on point instead of just saying, how was school? Good. It's like, what were two of your least favorite things today? Or, you know, like really giving something specific so the kid has to process it. So yeah, it's, it's constantly exciting for me now. Did you have any hesitations or challenges heading into that? The only challenge is, is trying to convince people that it is important. It is really uh, a skill that will help people in every capacity. So I'm so confident in knowing that once they experience it, they'll get it, they'll feel it. They become different people, like ever so slightly each time they do these activities. 
Um, so the confidence in the, in the deliverable has always been there just cause I was witness to it in my own life. Um, but the frustrations and the hangups and the, uh, just the general kind of feeling like, why am I bothering doing this is trying to convince people that are in that normal business mindset to let themselves and let their teams try something new because they have to be open to the collaboration and letting their teams try, really try something out of their normal scope. What um, do you think you've learned about yourself in this process? Um, how tender and vulnerable I am. I, um, I guess I never noticed it because I always have been like the funny, like always cheerful and in the office, no matter what job I had growing up, people well, and would powerful always... too. I think you, you are a powerful oh, woman. Thanks. I mean, I don't feel like that because I'm, I, I'm a huge crier. So like, I'm always thinking, man, I cry a lot for a comedian. Um, and it actually took several years for me to look back over like why I'm doing this and how it's helping me develop as a person. And especially like when stand up became a part of my life, it's a different kind of therapy to process real problems and real life experiences and connect with other people because of those commonalities. So for me, I started to realize that the reason why it worked, like why I, it was kind of my calling in life to do these things is because when I am vulnerable and sometimes in these improv workshops, people will get emotional and they're not expecting that. They're thinking we're just going to laugh and have fun and that's mm -hmm. it. It's just going to be cool and we're not going to learn anything. So when they feel something different and then there's that sensitivity and that's ultimately what I learned about myself is that I was like, Oh, I'm the clown. I'm the clown that cries <laughs> quietly, you know, never, not as public about it until recent years, but I've started to embrace it. I'm like, no, the reason I, love comedy and humor is because it is therapeutic and it helps kind of level the playing field because everyone struggles we all have crap we deal with and and it's such a it's so emotional yeah I mean, it's emo you're tapping into all different emotions yeah. humor and everything is an emotion right mm -hmm. sure you're, you're the clown with the tear yep exactly <laughs> big time <laughs> um okay so to get people to act I believe they need to envision something for themselves, explore what it would take, mm -hmm. and then execute a plan. Mm -hmm. what, what do you have to offer my audience on that level? Just, I mean, it's a, really a transformative experience. So people think of improv and of course, automatically they're gonna picture performance, but they really need to be open to um, showing up and presenting what they have to offer. Everybody's brains work differently. So if they really picture it being no matter what job it is, I've done it with as few as five people. I've done it with as many as about a hundred people and could do more. It just has to bring more facilitators and separate people, but really picturing themselves checking out of their daily routine, going into a workshop environment where they're willing to try something new and be present and not judge themselves or judge others. And like, that's when the magic happens is when people kind of check the normal stuff at the door and then they realize, um, that they're breaking things down to the basics of how we communicate with people. So really just opening themselves up to an opportunity. But what if they want to do what you're doing? What if they're the type oh, of, to actually, they're, they're, yeah, oh, they're yeah. listening to you and they're like, I want to get into this. Like I see the value <laughs> and I'd like to do that. Um, they will need to plan on taking lots of workshops. If they haven't already done improv, like for me, um, I actually studied with people who knew more about improv than me first. And then I started absorbing and then I watch a lot of other performers and, and, and read other books about it. Um, but they just have to do it. Exactly what you said. They have to make a decision to do it, which I knew I loved it. So I'm like, I'm going to give this to the world somehow. So I picked a name for a business and built a website and 
you have to be willing to um, commit to it and be vulnerable. And you probably need to be realistic about your personality about it because <laughs> a lot of people just see what other people are doing and they want to do that, but we're not all cut out to do the same thing. We've all been given different types of talents and skills and being true to yourself sometimes is being honest with what is in your scope. So if you are someone that can facilitate and do it really energetically, there's all sorts of different training opportunities that either we provide um, through the company, which my brother and I run is actually called Zip Zap Zop, named after an improv game. Um, but there's local improvisers in almost any major city that can do classes. So you can really feel like, yeah, I can do it, but can I then teach it? So it's something you definitely have to figure out and be honest with yourself if you can do it. Well, and you know, something else about you is the fact that you have a new book coming out, which is, you know, writing. Yeah. The bottom line is that, you know, I know you're powerful because you follow through. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You a lot find of don't. <laughs> exactly. And so you got this whole business up and running. You got Laugh Fest in Idaho up and running. Which mm -hmm. how long has that been going on? I'm working on the fourth event. So we've had three annual festivals so far. Okay. And um, and on top of that, you know, you wrote your book. You are pregnant with your fourth child. <laughs> I mean, and your book is not about comedy. Your mm -hmm. book is about reality. That's what yeah. makes you the emotional comedian, right? Yeah. And what is your book about? Just so everybody can get yeah. a better picture about like what you mm -hmm. are all about. Great, yeah. My book is called Not My Plan. It, it was about a unplanned pregnancy I had in high school. I was a senior in high school when I found out I was pregnant. And I hid that pregnancy from various, for various reasons, religious uh, reasons, and just feeling like I was worried about the judgment and the stigma. And I had become a statistic and all those things kind of flooded my mind. And, um, and everybody did sort of, sort of see me as this perfect little Mormon girl that I was the president of my young women's class at the time and and um, and I was kind of the go-to responsible person hard worker since I was young I mean I always did the chores around the house and I was really accountable to myself all the all the time growing up so um, and there's a lot of it in it about going through the experience of what do you do when you're in an unplanned pregnancy I ended up choosing to place my child for adoption and I knew that was the right option for me but then growing over these years I realized that's not the right answer for everyone and I get that so I'm not not only an advocate for adoption and wanted to share that positive experience now so someone can see 16 years later um, the book is actually a collaboration effort with mostly my writing and those but there's snippets from my birth daughter from her parents from my mother who didn't know I was pregnant so it kind of gives all these different perspectives, but really it's about the lessons learned. And in my case, it was this unplanned pregnancy. In other cases, it's people that have other problems, addictions or mental illness or whatever people are dealing with, there's still a learning and growth process that happens. And when we embrace it, it helps shape us. And it's really a big reason why I'm in comedy is because- I was just gonna ask you, how does this play a part in your comedy? Yeah, yeah and I actually explain that actually pretty much up front in the book that it's like, yeah, I'm a comedian, but. This isn't a gonna, this probably isn't going to be a funny book. I mean, hopefully there's some fun whimsy that comes out just in my personality. But um, I started to realize again years into comedy how much that was providing me an outlet and a way to connect with other people. And um, and having that experience gave me a lot of empathy for what other people are going through. It doesn't have to be the same same challenge. And honestly, coming up with this. Um, the idea to do this story was not my idea. I just kept feeling really strong promptings, which in, in my case, where I'm very religious, I believe they were promptings coming from a higher power that I needed to share this positive story 
um, to be a resource for other people, whether they chose, are currently pregnant and are choosing, or are experiencing some other trial. People come to me for all other types of trials now, and just because I've been in a dark place uh, many times in my life. And But really, like, comedy has become like a lifeline for me. It's something that helps me to keep grounded and connected with people and be real about it. And that's why most of, most comedians do it is because it gives them this outlet to process what they've experienced and then connect with people. So when people are laughing, they, they know. They're like, yep, I've been there, you know. Right. It is the ultimate connector. When you do improv, mm-hmm. do you make fun of people? A little bit. Because, um, because I'm sitting here feeling like there's probably something you need to get out about me that would be pretty funny. No, you know, ultimately with improv, we kind of help people make fun of themselves. Right. Because that's when the therapy happens is when you are being a, a little bit, picking on yourself a little bit. Um, this, the uh, self-deprecation is a beautiful thing. You see it a lot more in stand-up than improv um, because it is such a vulnerable place. But I, I personally don't pick on people a lot, and I don't think most comedians' intent is to do that. It's really to be real and raw and talk about the hard stuff because you can talk about way more difficult topics if you've got people in that kind of safe place to do right. so. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, um, zipzapzop.com. Uh-huh. The name of your book is? Not My Plan. Not My Plan. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make you a part of our private group on Facebook, too, so people can reach out to you there. That cool. sounds good to you. Sure, so. yeah. Thank you so much for meeting with yeah, us. I mean, we you. drove to Idaho just to talk to I you. I know. That's flattering beyond words. So you deserve it. I appreciate it. I appreciate the time. We're glad awesome we did. what you guys so. are doing. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I have come to be known as the 50 States in 90 Days Lady, a concept that is unfathomable to most. If you would like me to come speak at your event about how to envision, explore, and execute a plan, or how to create a life that is more exciting or more meaningful, you can find me at MotivateMePodcast.com. And the world keeps turning and I just keep moving.